If you decided to listen to this week's message of Doxadeo Fichard Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. So interesting fact, human beings, you and I, uh, we have a lot of different ways of celebrating things, right? We have birthdays, anniversaries, maybe the birth of a child or, you know, whatever the case may be. And throughout history and even uh, still running today, there have been some interesting ways in which some people um, have celebrated certain things. I'm going to give you guys a few examples. Firstly, so at the end of the Second World War in 1945, one of the ways in which many cities across the globe celebrated the victory of the war was by hosting kissing parties. And it's exactly what it sounds like, to be honest. Literally, people would gather in public spaces and just start kissing random strangers just to celebrate the fact that we won. You guys know that, I didn't bring it with me, but that infamous photo of the soldier and the girl, and it's just very, that, those were strangers, not a couple. It's actually a little scary. I don't know if she like gave him consent to do that or whatever. Strange way to celebrate the victory of a war. How about this one? The Throwing Shoes Festival. Okay, let me explain what this is. So there are several, several countries in the Middle East and South Asia, uh, and this part really like I laughed when I read this, where it is considered offensive to throw a shoe at someone, but I'm pretty sure that's offensive everywhere, okay? Like to throw a shoe at someone, so don't do that. But there are cities in these countries where people would gather in public spaces and there would be pictures of like historical figures. Let's might use Hitler as an example because I'm pretty sure everyone would agree that he wasn't the nicest guy ever. They would gather in public spaces and throw shoes at the image as like a celebration or an indication of their disgust, their disapproval. Strange way of celebrating something, right? How about this one? This is my favorite one. Wife carrying competitions. <laughs> okay. And it's exactly what it sounds like. So what they do is, and this is mostly in the USA because obviously America, okay? Mostly in USA, uh, but also in Finland, where they literally host competitions, married couples, they enter the competition, and then the competition goes like this. The husband carries the wife on his back through a series of obstacles, okay? Like climbing up things, crawling. It's not like your regular obstacle. It's hectic. And get this, the winner wins his wife's weight in beer, okay? Like... <laughs> And they do this to celebrate, I'm hoping, to celebrate marriage and also beer, apparently. I don't know. Okay, last one. And this is one I wouldn't mind being a part of. It happens in Spain. They host a festival called La Tomatina. Okay, La Tomato. Okay. And what happens is literally thousands of people get together to throw each other with tomatoes. <laughs> The streets are littered. It's red pulp everywhere you go. And to be honest, I only included this one because I really like it because I couldn't necessarily figure out what are they busy celebrating because they also don't know. It's just been something that's been happening for hundreds of years and they just keep it going. But human beings, we're excellent at celebrating. We celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, graduations. Celebration is kind of something that's built into our nature, right? 
when something special happens, we celebrate. So normally in our house, we celebrate with pizza because we just love pizza, okay? Like we don't need takeaways a lot, um, but when we do, we get like a lot. I'm not, I'm not going to say how many pizzas we devour in one sitting. Um, so I don't want you to judge me, okay? But you can ask me afterwards how many pizzas we devour in one sitting. But celebration is something we humans do instinctively, right? So it's week two of our salvation series. We're taking a journey through some of the different tenses that salvation is often referred to when you spend time in your Bible. Because when you read your Bible, sometimes you'll read of salvation as something that's in the past perfect tense. So I always say if I didn't become a pastor, I would have been a teacher. So past perfect tense, class, okay? Something that can't be any more done than it already is, okay? Past perfect. Sometimes you read about salvation and your Bible refers to it as something in the past. It's happened. And that's what we spoke about last week. When Eugene made this example of I was outside of Christ, I was alone, I was in sin, I was in rebellion, and then salvation happens and I am placed into Christ. It's a finality. It's done. It's dusted. It's something that has happened with me in the past. Sometimes you read about salvation and it's almost as if it's something that's still busy happening. When you read in your Bible that we're being saved. And that's what we're going to preach on next week. I can't wait for that. I'm very excited about that. And then other times you read in your Bible about salvation as if it's something that still has to happen. When we read about how we will be saved when Christ appears one day, when he comes back. And we're going to preach about that as well. But tonight I want to pause at something really special, really specific, because you can't preach on salvation and not preach about this. And it's the thing called baptism. Now, baptism, in a sense, is a celebration. But baptism is nowhere near like celebrating your birthday or celebrating a graduation. Because when we talk baptism, we're not talking about some religious ritual we are not talking about church tradition. When we talk baptism in this church family, we're actually talking about Christ. Because baptism is actually not about you. <laughs> baptism is a celebration of Jesus. The fact that he did something that was impossible. He died, he rose from the dead, and he made open a way so that those who are far away from God can now be close to God again. That's baptism. It's not a church tradition. It's not a ritual. And I know baptism can be a sensitive topic because we grow up in a lot of different contexts when it comes to baptism. Maybe you grew up in a context where your church, the tradition they practiced was baby baptism or infant baptism. I'm going to say a few things about that in a minute. Maybe you grew up in a church where they differentiated. They had something of a, an infant baptism, but also something of a believer's baptism. In Afrikaans, you might use the words a claim doop and a groedoop. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. You've never heard about it, or you've kind of heard about it, and you know it's like a Christian thing but you don't really know what it's all about. And I'm hoping tonight that as we take a journey through the scriptures, that you will discover with me God's heart, his opinion, his perspective on something 
even if it might be a little sensitive. You ready for that? Great, let's open up our Bibles. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. When we talk baptism, uh, this is actually one of the first passages you have to look at, okay? Matthew chapter 28, this is Jesus' final moment with his disciples. He's been crucified. He was raised from the dead. He spent some time with them. He is on his way to ascend back to heaven to be with his father. Now, you know, imagine if you knew you only have about two or three minutes left on this earth with your closest loved ones, right? You will not waste time talking about the weather, <laughs> in those last moments, no, you will say the stuff that matters most. Someone's final words, my brother, my sister, they indicate a lot of someone's perspective, someone's heart. And this is, these are Jesus' final words to his disciples. He says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We have to start there. That's monumental. One of his last statements is to his disciples, remember, I, Jesus, I have brought a new governance on this earth. The authority on this earth no longer belongs to death. It does not belong to sin. It does not belong to Satan. Authority on this earth belongs to me. And I'm giving it to you. And then he goes on to say, so now he says, I'm going away, starter. And then he says to his disciples, therefore, these are his last words. They matter. They mean something. They carry serious weight. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples. He gives them the mission, the keys of the kingdom. And he tells them, go, spread it. Tell people about it. Make it known everywhere you go. He says, make disciples. And then he gives us two very clear indications on what would make a disciple. And he says this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he says, I'm with you. His last words, the finality of this, and he says, make disciples. And he gives two indications of a disciple, baptize them. Teach them to obey what I've taught you. Isn't that special? So if we look at that, honestly, if I look at that, that scripture, then to be honest, baptism seems pretty clear cut. Well, make disciples, baptize them, shop. <laughs> make disciples, spread the word, baptize them, teach them, shop. I'm in, I'm, I'm going for it. But if it appears to be that clear, Jesus tells us, baptize people, make disciples. If it's that clear, why does this tend to be such a sensitive topic? I believe it's sensitive because I think a lot of us grow up with a little bit of a warped uh, uh, perspective on when it comes to baptism. And it may be because of the influence of culture or tradition or history or whatever you put in that category. But I'm hoping tonight brings clarity to you. So what I want to do is, for a few short moments, I want to look at what baptism is not, okay? Because sometimes you need to tell people what baptism or what anything is not to give them a clear picture on what it is, right? And first and foremost, baptism is not what saves you, my friend. <laughs> the water in our baptism pool behind me is not that special, okay? It is manga water, <laughs> okay? <laughs> 
There is nothing special about Mangaung water. Baptism is not what saves you. Let's read together Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. What is it that saves me? It's faith in Jesus. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There is no good work good enough to make you right with God, my friend. It is only faith in Jesus, in his finished work that has the ability to make you right with God. Because sometimes we put, and I need to say this carefully, but sometimes we put too much weight on baptism. But it's not baptism that saves me. And that's very clear because if you think about it, if it's baptism that saves me, then why on earth would Jesus get baptized? (laughs) Did Jesus need to repent of his sin? (laughs) Did he need to ask for forgiveness from his father in order to be in right relationship with him? No. But when you read about Jesus' baptism, something really profound happens. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but we read in Jesus' baptism, what happens? The heavens open up and there's a voice that declares what? This is my son. I'm well pleased with him. My Holy Spirit is upon him. You see, the, the first amazing thing about baptism, it's an identity moment. Before Jesus' baptism, it's interesting to note, before his baptism, he hadn't started his ministry yet. He hadn't done any miracles. And then he gets baptized. There's this moment where God the Father, he makes this identity statement over him. He gives him the spirit and he launches his ministry. Why is that important? Because we always say Jesus is not the example for us. He is the example of us. That's why he came in a human form, to show us what a human life will look like when it's in right relationship with God. He's the example of us. And if he gets baptized, that's the the example of me. I will be baptized. Baptism is not what saves you. Secondly, baptism is not reserved for level 10 Christians, okay? (laughs) Because I hear this one a lot. No, 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 Aiden. I know I should be baptized, but I first just want to sort out my life a little, okay? Like, you laugh, it's true, right? I first want to, I need to like stop doing this and stop doing that, you know? I need to like come to church more, and I just, I want to be better at reading my Bible and better at praying, but my problem with that is, if you're thinking I want to sort out my life first, what exactly is the measuring stick for a sorted out life? (laughs) What is the measuring stick? (laughs) Is the measuring stick someone that never watches pornography again? Someone that never swears? Someone that never touches alcohol again? What do you use to measure whether you have a sorted out life or not? Acts chapter 8, I'm not going to read it, but it'll be on the screen. Acts chapter 8, verse 34 to 38. It records the story of Philip, one of the disciples. He follows the prompting of the Holy Spirit and he meets an Ethiopian man, a eunuch. And he's reading, he's on his chariot. He's busy reading a passage from Isaiah in the Old Testament. And he asks Philip, can you explain this to me? Because I don't understand it. Philip agrees. He gets onto the chariot with this Ethiopian. He explains the gospel to him. And then it literally says, as they were going, the man says, look, there is a body of water. 
What keeps me from being baptized? This guy has been saved for about 30 seconds. <laughs> he has had zero opportunity to sort out his life. <laughs> he is in the exact same chariot he was a minute ago, but he's a completely different person. He was dead, now he's alive. He was in darkness, now he's in light. He was far away from God, now he's close to God. And his very first response is, what keeps me from being baptized? It goes on to say they go into the water, he baptizes him, and it's incredible. What I like about that story, just FYI, it's actually, as scholars mostly agree, that that Ethiopian man referred to in Acts chapter 8, that's actually the first African following Jesus. <laughs> he brings the gospel of Jesus to the continent of Africa. Isn't, that's why we're here today, my friend. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> Thirdly, and it's similar, baptism is not about waiting for the right time. I hear this one a lot as well. I know I should be baptized. My life is kind of sorted out, whatever you're using to measure that. Cool. But I hear a lot. A lot of us say, I'm just waiting for God to tell me when is the right time. I'm waiting for the right time. And the problem is, if, if you're thinking like that, and my brother and my sister, I say this with the greatest love I could possibly ever. But if you're thinking like that, then you're making much of baptism and less of Christ. Okay. In Acts chapter 2, we read the story of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 41. The Holy Spirit fills the disciples. Peter gets up and he preaches his very first sermon that he's ever preached. And 3,000 people get saved that day. Like, one day in heaven, I am going to have a conversation with Peter and ask him, how did he do that? Okay, I want to know, Peter, how did you go about your sermon preparation? But I'm going to read one part. Uh, it says, verse 37, after he preached the people's response, they said they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? And Peter responds, repent and be baptized, every single one of you. Verse 41 then says, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 people to the local church. Can you imagine starting point on that Sunday? <laughs> you see, all throughout the book of Acts and all throughout the New Testament, you see that pattern. Salvation, baptism. Salvation, baptism. Salvation, baptism. So if you're wondering when the right time is, I want to give you a quote. It's from John Trussler. He's an author. And he says in his book, uh, Proverbs Exemplified, there's no better time like the present. A thousand unforeseen circumstances may interrupt you at a future time. There's another saying that goes, uh, delayed obedience often results in disobedience. <laughs> delayed obedience often results in disobedience. Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Now, now that is not Jesus being like, if you follow me, you must do what I say or I'll zap you with lightning. No, no, no. He's actually talking about a love relationship. And the fact is, in a love relationship, I automatically desire to do what is pleasing to my partner. There is no law 
that dictates what I, as a wife, should do in and around the house in order to love my husband. But you know what? I desire instinctively to do what nurtures and blesses my marriage, whether I like it or not. Lastly, baptism is not a recommitment, because I see this one a lot as well. Aiden, I know Jesus, and I've, I've actually been saved for a while. I got saved that day, that time, but I've strayed away from God. <coughs> I've made mistakes. I've fallen into sin, and I want to be baptized so that I can recommit myself to God. My friend, baptism is not the means to do that. Repentance is the means to do that. And I'm going to preach a little bit on repentance next week as well. But if you're seeing baptism as a way to recommit yourself to God, again, then you're putting a lot of faith in baptism and a little faith in Jesus. So if that is what baptism is not, what is baptism then? Before we go on to that, a few thoughts on infant baptism. Because I know that's a context that a lot of us grow up in, right? Churches where infants are baptized. Maybe you were baptized as an infant. Now, to be very brief about this, so throughout history, there has been a little bit of a parallel or a connection uh, being made between an old covenant law and a new covenant expression. Here's what I mean by that. If you read through your Old Testament, you will read about the law of circumcision that Israel had to follow. Jewish boys, when they were about eight years old, their parents would bring them to the priest, have them circumcised, have them cut. It's actually, sure, sad, sorry, name. Have them cut. And that would be an indication that this baby, because remember, Israel is God's covenant people. He is the chosen holy nation set apart for God and relationship with him. And circumcision of a Jewish baby would indicate that this baby also belongs to the covenant people. We bring him before God. He is now a part of the holy nation, the chosen nation, the set apart nation. Fast forward through church history, and infant baptism replaces circumcision. Whereas parents bring the infant, they bring the baby, and as a sign saying that this infant is also now included into the faith that we as a family share, kind of the same of the, the old covenant parent bringing the Jewish baby versus the new covenant, maybe family, they bring the infant and they baptize him, but here is why that does not work. Colossians 2.12 says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, and these are the key words, through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. My brother, my sister, the fact of the matter is, there is nothing that anyone can do on your behalf to include you into relationship with God. It is through faith. There is no act, as good as the intention may be, but your pastor can't do anything on your behalf to include you in the faith. Your YouTube pastor can't do anything on your behalf to include you in the faith. 
And the reality is your parents can't do anything on your behalf to include you in the faith. However, listen carefully. <coughs> that does not mean that you need to panic if your parents baptized you as a baby. Here's why. Because I am convinced, and I get to say this because I'm a parent myself, but I am convinced that if your parents had you baptized as an infant, it is because they hoped, they prayed, and they did everything that they could in raising you so that you could one day choose Jesus for yourself. And that is beautiful. But baptism is not the means. Dedication might be the means. So don't go calling your parents saying, you ruined my faith. Like you set me up for failure. Don't do that. Because I know your parents love you. And they prayed and they hoped and they so trusted God that you will choose Jesus for yourself. I'm trusting that for our little boy. I trust I pray every single night when I put him to bed and he screams at me and he's difficult. I say, Jesus, as long as he chooses you one day, this will be worth it. But baptism is not the means. Why? Because it's through faith that you're included in the covenant, not through the act of going into the water. So if that's not baptism, I'm going to end with this. <laughs> then what is baptism then? If it's not what saves me, if it's not for special people, if it's not about waiting for the right time, if it's not a recommitment, then what is baptism? Romans 6 verse 3 to 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That word, that word baptized that you read, it's baptizo in Greek. And it literally means to dunk, like a Omar Biskeki, okay? <laughs> when you take your rusk, when you eat a rusk, do you like dip your finger into the coffee and go, and then I know, you baptizo, your rusk. You dunk it, you submerge it. You, it goes under the water. That's the actual meaning of that word that you read. You see, through baptism, I signify this, and it's so important. Through baptism, I signify that Christ, his death was my death. His burial was my burial. But his resurrection is now, guess what? My resurrection. It is faith that unites me to Christ, and baptism symbolizes the union. To illustrate this, I brought some of our wedding photos. I want to brag a little bit tonight. So this is the moment where we actually like as give each other like wedding vows, you know, like I promise to love you for richer, for poorer, blah, 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 blah. Can't even remember all of it, to be honest. But then there's a moment in our wedding ceremony. Some of you were witness to this. Eh? There was a moment in our wedding ceremony where we were asked to exchange rings, to give each other wedding rings. Now, here's a very logical thing. Putting on of the wedding ring, does that make me married? 
No. If I remove my wedding ring, now I'm not wearing it. Am I now not married? <laughs> Some people think like that, and that's why their marriages fail, okay? But me, me not wearing my ring, <laughs> it's not that funny, but okay, one day. Friend, the putting on of the wedding ring is not what makes us married. However, wearing this ring means something. It symbolizes something. This wedding ring means I, Aiden Lee, I belong to someone. Something happened with me five years ago and it changed the course of my life forever. In the life of a believer, someone who follows Jesus, that's baptism. Something that's, that symbolizes, something that people are witness to, where they go, something happened with me. My life changed. You see, what makes us married is not this ring, but I put this ring on every single day so that I can be reminded I belong to someone and so that everyone who sees me walking down the street will know, unavailable, Taken, okay? I belong to someone else exclusively. You see, what made us married that day was not those beautiful rings. It's not that. What made us one that day was the promise we took before God, the covenant promise saying we promise to be one together forever. <laughs> It was the promise we made to each other before witnesses that some of you were actually there. You saw us promising to each other, richer or poor, until death parts us. And then the contract of home affairs, because that is also something that you need to do. If you didn't know that, please do that. Okay. But this ring, it symbolizes that. And in the life of a believer, that's baptism. Something people witness. That's why we do it publicly as well, just saying. So that people can be witness to a faith that's already real in my heart. Because baptism, at the end of the day, it's an outward expression of an inward reality. It means I have been saved. I have been placed into Christ. I now belong to Him. And the way I celebrate that, the way I go public with that, is by going under the water and being raised to life. I want to invite Nane to quickly join me on stage. The worship team can also join us. Let's give Nane a round of applause. She's one of our partners. She's one of our partners. And just maybe before I give the mic over to her, because we, we would, all of you that know Nane uh, would unanimously agree that we've so enjoyed just seeing Jesus get a hold of this woman. <laughs> The last few months, right? Shop. I've so enjoyed seeing God work in this woman. And I just invited her tonight uh, just to share a quick story regarding her own testimony and her own baptism. And then we're going to end off by responding in worship. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Nane. So I was baptized actually as a baby in the Reformed Church. Um, but I was actually saved in last year. I met Jesus, y'all. <laughs> um, in like some like tragic circumstances I got myself in. But um, He is super faithful. 
and he met me right there in those circumstances and he really came and changed my heart. Um, I lived in the world still for a bit and then some more changes came and he pulled me even closer, even though I was not living my best life for Christ at that stage. He drew nearer and nearer constantly and um, I started spending more time in the Word. I started reading more, but I was overwhelmed. I think we all are a little bit if you're new to this whole thing. So I started in the New Testament. And the beautiful thing about the Gospels is it's extremely repetitive, the first four books of the New Testament. Um, so that really gave the Holy Spirit a chance. It gave me a chance to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit when reading the Gospels, truly understanding the love and the gift that Christ is that we've been given by God that the Father gave us this the Father gifted us salvation by grace and nothing that you can do so I got to Acts and there's a lot of baptisms in Acts but specifically Paul's testimony to Peter and John in Acts 22 verse 15 16 um, he Jesus specifically speaks to Paul and he says to him what are you waiting for get up and be baptized so you can proclaim me publicly and that just like sunk into my heart. It dug in so deep that I was on Doxa's website every week waiting for a baptism so I could sign up. And I signed up on the 21st of May. I had the privilege of being dunked to proclaim publicly, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing, truly. It's so, it's crazy because it's so easy. You just go into the water and on swim amal, so uh, you literally just get dunked for a second. But what it symbolizes is immense. It's a love that we don't deserve, but we get anyway. And you get to step into this new creation that you are. You get to proclaim that as obedience towards Christ, towards Jesus, to say like, thank you for this. And I'm showing everyone that I know that I'm going to do this now with you, for you, through you, by you. Thank you, Jesus, for how easy it was, truly. And you're... I'll let that be your motivation. <laughs> Thanks, Nande. Beautiful. That's baptism, my friend. It's a celebration. It's a celebration of something that's already happened with me. So if you're looking for the old Nane, the rebellious, sinful, far away from God Nane, She's back there in the baptism pool, dead and buried and gone, my friend, right? <laughs> if you're looking for the old Aiden Lee, the rebellious Aiden, the far away from God Aiden, the very alone Aiden, she's dead and buried and gone in the swimming pool of Eunice High School, okay? Because that's where I was baptized on an extremely cold winter's day, my friend. At least our baptism pool is heated, all right? I want to end off by this. I think there are two groups of people here tonight. I think there are some of you and you know Jesus. You've been walking with Jesus. You have been saved. Faith is a reality in your life, but you have not been baptized. And it might be for many reasons. Maybe you were just ignorant up until tonight. You didn't know it's such a big deal. 
maybe it is because that you were baptized as an infant and you're only now realizing, but now I get to choose myself through faith to follow Jesus. And I want to celebrate that. Maybe it's simply because of pride. Because you've been in church very long. You've been following Jesus a while. And what will people think if I come out as not being baptized? Awkward. My friend, my brother, my sister, there's only one emotion in this church building when people get saved and it's joy. It is joy when someone decides to put on the ring to celebrate, to make it known that something has happened with me and I will be lowered, I will be dunked like an Omar Biskeki to testify to the fact that the old me is dead. I have been raised to a new life in Christ. Some of you should be baptized. Guess what? Next week Sunday, it's so easy, like Nanay said. Next week Sunday, we're hosting a baptism celebration. I'm trusting that I'm going to see a lot of you be baptized next week. You can sign up for that on our website. You can sign up at our info desk. You can sign up by just giving me your name and your number. It's so easy. And then secondly, I think there are people here tonight and you're not baptized because you don't know Jesus. You haven't had that moment where you move from death to life, from darkness to light, from separation to intimacy. You haven't had that moment yet. And we can't end tonight. I'm sorry, I'll preach for hours, but we cannot end tonight without giving you the opportunity to do that, to move from death to life, to move from darkness to light, to move from separation to intimacy. So I want to invite you, if that's you, if you want to have that moment tonight saying, I want to follow Jesus. I'm not really sure what that means, but I feel God speaking to me. And tonight, I want to put my faith in Him. I want to put my faith in Him. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to be brave tonight. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to just to take a moment and just stand up in your seat because we want to celebrate with you. If there's anyone like that, won't you stand? You have a gentleman right there. Awesome. Anyone else? I want to put my faith in Jesus. There's another, there's a lady right here. Well done. Don't rush. If you want to put your faith in Jesus, if you want to move from death to life, from darkness to light, from separation to intimacy, there's another person at the back. Thank you. I'm going to ask just some of our ministry leaders, they want to just pray with you, celebrate with you. But can I just take a moment and say, Scripture is very clear on what happens when someone moves from death to life. Joy, <laughs> celebration. There's actually a Scripture that says, angels 
the most heavenly beings that there could be. They long to understand salvation because they can't. They don't know what it feels like to move from death to life. They don't get what we get. It says angels long to look into these things and they'll never be able to. We get to experience that. So can we all stand together? Our leaders are going to pray for those people, spend time with them, minister to them. There's only one response applicable after a moment like that. And it's to praise Jesus because He is the one that makes death to life possible. And I want to invite you. You know Jesus, obviously. So let's just raise our hand and just in your own words, start thanking Him for your salvation. (laughs) Thank Him for that moment, that season, that day, whenever it was. Thank Him. God, I thank You that... Wow, 2008, very long ago, I had the privilege of meeting you, Jesus, face to face, intimately, personally. Thank you that I have moved from death to life, from darkness to light, from separation to relationship and intimacy. We thank you for that, Father. And we want to end off tonight, Jesus, by giving you the glory, you the honor, because you, God, our Father, Jesus Christ, your Son, and the Holy Spirit, you deserve the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.